You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. I'm thrilled to have everyone here tonight. I just want to introduce my guests, my co-host, Elizabeth Lenz, Maggie McDonald, the author, producer, writer, performer of Dames of Our Lives, and uh, author, Diane Altomar, the author of the book Clarity, which is coming out now and is absolutely amazing. Um, Before I start speaking with my guests, I just want to give uh, those of you out there tonight just a quick, um, very quick, I promise, uh, explanation of what Morph Mom is and Morph Mom Moments and how we all got together tonight. Um, again, for those of you who have heard this every week, and I'm hoping there are those out there who are listening every week, <laughs> bear with me. For those who are new to the show, I hope this will entice you to continue to come and visit us every Thursday night from 7 to 8. Um, my name is Kathleen Smith, and I started Morph Mom about four years ago. It began as a website, um, and each year it's sort of something new has come about. Um, the premise was when I began that I went out and interviewed women around the country and I shared their stories and hopefully to connect with others that they could share what they'd done, how they did it, the steps that they took. And in turn, it would mentor and help others looking to do the same. Uh, that was the first year. The second year we, um, ended up hosting, uh, I'm sorry, I began to write for the Huffington Post. And if you're interested in those articles, I encourage you to go, um, not for my writing, however, but for the stories themselves, because I also share just these amazing stories of these women around the country who so generously, generously share what they've done and really do want to help others with the steps that they took, things that worked, things that didn't work. Following that year, I found there was something missing when I'd go to interview somebody in a city and I'd say, oh, you know, Elizabeth, I'm leaving now. I've got to go to your neighbor, Maggie. And they'd say, oh, that's funny. Why, what are you going to, inter- you know, why are you going over to Maggie's? And I'd say, well, Maggie has this business. And she'd say, well, no, she doesn't. I was just with her, you know, on the soccer field. We haven't mentioned that. And I found what was really interesting was a lot of women had things going on and weren't really sharing the work side of it. You share what your kids are doing. You share what other things are going in your life and just women in general. It's not something that comes up at a cocktail party or, you know, you're not necessarily telling what you're doing. So I began to host cocktail parties in these different cities to actually connect people in person so that we could connect again on that level where we all sort of needed to connect. And now most recently I'm here doing this radio show and it is thrilling and it is fun. And without further ado, (laughs) I'm going to introduce, well, we'll begin with Diane Altamar. And again, as I said, she's the author of Clarity and Diane, I'm going to sort of leave it to you now to tell us, um, sort of about what you're doing now and how you came to write this amazing book. And well, thank you, Kathleen. It's so great to be on your show. And 
I would love to share that. My journey started many years ago as I experienced a lot of difficulty and uncertainty in my childhood growing up in an alcoholic home. And I was very sensitive, as I still am. And it was really difficult because what I felt so much of the time was really what was going on under the surface. I felt at a deep level the dysfunction and the things that weren't being talked about. And I know from coaching many people from different backgrounds that even if you didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, you may have grown up with a distant or an absent parent or some other difficulty in your childhood. And for the women and the moms that are listening tonight, we know that whatever it is that we've experienced throughout our life, we transfer into our current circumstances, whether that's our relationships, our parenting, whether we're transferring that to our children. And so I've been coaching people for the last 15 years to really look at what from their past has reoccurred and is surfacing in their current circumstances and is limiting them. And that is really why I wrote the book, because I wanted to touch so many more people with this information. And something as simple as an emotion, many of us don't know what to do with the difficult emotions that we experience. And so that is really part of what is in the book, is how to move through what is happening in your current circumstances and create what it is that you want from your life. I have a question for you. Um, and even going back a little bit and you said you began coaching. When did you begin coaching? Like how did this sort of transpire? Well, I became a seeker of how to fix myself. Mm -hmm. And I really knew from a very young age that things weren't they weren't right. I saw, you know, other people's experiences and they didn't seem to be dealing with some of the things that I was dealing with. And so I started reading books and I just got really connected to the inner workings of what was happening within me. And one day I saw Debbie Ford on Oprah and she was talking about the shadow and the shadow is something that Carl Jung coined, and it's those parts of ourselves that we don't want to be. And I was just so drawn to what she was talking about, and so I went and personally trained with her and her Ford Institute of Integrative Coaching 16 years ago, really for the only purpose of helping myself heal. I wasn't that interested in coaching other people, but one of the gifts of growing up in an alcoholic home is that you become very intuitive. And so my intuition, coupled with my fascination of how we all really work internally and the amazing training and certification that I got, um, just made me fall in love with coaching people, and it was part of what we did in the coaching program, and I just never stopped, and I've been doing it ever since. Well, that's really interesting that that's how it turned into that. So how, and again, how long did you study in order to be able to do that? Did you have to get a, a certain degree to take it to the next level? I've been 
actually taking different certifications with the Ford Institute of Integrative Coaching for the past 16 years. So the initial training was a year-long, very intensive training where we went through a lot of our own deep inner work to make sure that we had clarity on what it is that was happening for us because you cannot coach somebody else to go somewhere that you haven't gone yourself. And so that was a year-long program. And then I've done many other year-long programs in different certifications with the same institute. It's it's so fascinating for those of you out there. Again, the book is Clarity. It is phenomenal. I read it this weekend, and I couldn't. I literally couldn't put it down. And each chapter sort of touches upon a different thing, and it's so relatable. As you're reading through it, you you can't help but sit, like put the book down for a few minutes and sort of think about your life and think how it affects you. And there were certain chapters in the book that. I found, I mean, all of it was fascinating, but actually touched me a little bit more. And there was something you mentioned about default emotion. And I'm fascinated by this. And I, I wonder if you could explain that as well to listeners and even more so to me and explain it a little bit more to me. But I'm really fascinated by this. Yes, absolutely. So I coined a term called our default emotion. And what the default emotion is, is it's that emotion that you go to often even if it's not appropriate or doesn't fit the circumstances. So, for example, your default emotion could be frustration. We all know people who get frustrated really quickly. Or it could be sadness. Or it could be anger. We all know people who get angry even if anger really doesn't fit the circumstances of what's happening. And what is really powerful about identifying for yourself what your default emotion is, is it's always the emotion underneath, the one that we're avoiding, that is actually the key to our healing. So for example, if anger is your default emotion, there may be a lot of sadness or shame underneath that anger. And because it may be easier for you to express yourself in an angry way, it's a more, it's a, even, I don't want to say in control, but it's a more aggressive emotion, less vulnerable than being sad or feeling ashamed. And so it's covering up really what your truth is. And until you get to the emotion under the default emotion, which I call our avoidance emotions, you can't really understand what's happening for you. And that is really what the work is about. It's about understanding what's really going on with you. And if you're ashamed or you're feeling sad, connecting with that, and most importantly, knowing how to connect with those emotions and what to do with them is really what's going to help you heal that past event and stop repeating those circumstances over and over again in your relationships and in your life. And one of the powerful things that I am very happy about that is in this book is simply how do we move through difficult emotions? Many of us avoid our difficult emotions because we just don't know how to move through them. We've never been taught what to do with anger or what to do with shame. And what's really important is our emotions are messengers. They are simply here to guide us. And if we learn how to process our emotions and to really listen to what they're here to teach us or express to us, 
they become partners in this life, this journey that we're on. And it's such a, it's, it's just a more peaceful way to move through our life. I mean, I totally agree. So we know I'm thinking about myself. I get very quiet. I can't believe I'm admitting this now to, I don't know how many people, hopefully many are listening right now. I'm admitting this out loud. But You're I, healing in the moment. <laughs> this is good. I think it is. I'm not sure. Hopefully there's an audience. I think, but I've just revealed. But I, as you're saying that, I think about it, I get very, very quiet because it's just easier. It's easier to not talk yeah. about it. It's easier to not, to just keep it all inside and then just move on and not deal with it. And we grew up sort of like that, like, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine, keep going, keep going, everything's fine, don't look back. But it's funny when you say that, I'm almost, it's a terrifying thing to think, wait, there's something deeper. I'm kind of scared to go there. I don't know. So what do you yeah. guys think? And I, Elizabeth and Maggie, how do you guys? I just want to comment how beautiful the writing is in this book. Um, I mean, obviously, the messages are so powerful, but um, it's just such, an, such a pleasurable book to read. And, um, um, and, I, and I really appreciate that, you know, because you get to the message so much easier when you can really enjoy um, enjoy the book and the writing itself. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Elizabeth. Um, and I have a question to you. So I, I don't know if this connects with it, but and forgive my if I'm not getting it. But you also spoke about the inner child. So mm-hmm. is it that the default emotion goes back to that inner child? So if you can somehow connect with the inner child and why that whatever experience it was that force you to sort of come up with that emotion? Is that the connection from the default emotion to the inner child? Or if I'm totally wrong, you can say (laughs) I understand if I'm completely wrong. No, that's a great question. Sometimes you can make that connection. So, for example, if anger is your default emotion, you may have gotten literally stuck on the emotion of anger because you weren't able to process it when you were younger. There were a lot of different things that were happening in your environment that were making you angry, and you didn't know how to move through that anger. And so it's an emotion that you're really comfortable with. But we can also, at the same time, have a default emotion that is present just in the current circumstances of our experience. So we might be in a phase in our life where things are really difficult and the emotion we're going to often is frustration. Or like you said, I love what you shared, getting quiet because it's it's just too much to figure out how to move through it. And a lot of people, and I think mothers, many mothers have the default emotion of shutting down going numb, just just putting on that smile or that happy face and acting like everything is okay when it isn't. And that is a very painful way to live because it takes a lot of energy for us to cover up what our truth is and what is really happening within us. And again, it's, it's really about knowing very simple techniques I talk about in step six, giving our emotions a voice, and it's a really powerful technique because instead of just saying, I'm frustrated, for example, the voice of your frustration might express itself, and the voice of our emotions are those thoughts that we hear in our head. 
so the voice of that frustration may say, I'm not good enough. I can't figure this out. Nothing ever works out for me. So can't you just hear in the languaging and how I'm expressing that frustration that I could connect much more deeply with that frustration in the way that I'm voicing it, I'm expressing it. And so in step six, I show you very simply how to do that with all the different emotions so that you can feel the feeling. Because like you said, Kathleen, you know, I don't want to go in there. I don't know what I might get to. And most people feel like that. Like, let's just close the box on, let's close Mm -hmm. the lid on that box and just not deal with it. But there really are simple techniques to feel the feelings because the brilliance, the freedom, when we feel the feeling, is that it lets go of us. And in that moment, we gain clarity on what to do next and how to move through that situation so that we don't have to keep repeating it or cover it up. And I know it would be the best lesson for your kids, too, as they're seeing you react to something, but it's... It's hard. It's really, really hard. It is hard. Um, It is hard. But it is the best lesson for our children. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I have been coaching a lot of teenagers over the last few years. And the voice of our emotions in Step 6 is such a powerful chapter for our teenagers to learn and for all children because it helps them again to express what they're feeling without having to understand more about the emotions. It's a really powerful tool. It's, but it's such a, it's, I, I, as I listen to it, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but then it's just so scary when you get there. And I wish I'm, I'm going to now have you in my head next time and try and, and try and get this together. I, I have another question as I was reading through and I took all these notes and things that really, really stuck out or really meant something to or really touched a chord with me, I guess is the way to say it. And one of the things you said was another chapter which dealt with daily busyness. And it was um, sort of, oh, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, but I'm very, very busy. I have all these things to do. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. And that is really rings true with Morph Mom and part of the reason, like it's so easy to say, yeah, I have this idea, but I'm really scared and if I don't deal with it today, I'll deal with it eventually, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it. I'm gonna get to it. And I just thought this daily busyness, busyness was it just plays a role I think in most of our lives every day. It's just so much easier to procrastinate and not deal with what you're supposed to be dealing with. So I'm just curious about what how you came to that as well, and and your experience with daily businesses daily busyness with people that you see. Yeah, that's a really big one for women and moms because. We're just trained because of our role to put other people first. And so if we want to start a business or if we have something that we need to really handle, it's easy for us to look away from that and to get distracted because there's a lot going on in our life. And so what is really amazing about getting connected to what's happening for you and just, you know, reading the different things that you read and what you really resonated with is if somebody's listening and they do read that chapter on busyness and how you get distracted by everything and you're not really following through with what would be really fulfilling for you in your life, what you can do is 
very simply write out on a piece of paper what your vision is, what you really would love to someday create, what you want to do, or even if it's something that you're procrastinating on that you really need to do, just write it out. And then ask yourself, what is one small, tiny, little, minuscule step that I could take today? Today. And just take one step. And continue to keep that vision in your mind and in front of you. Maybe your step for the next 30 days, if you're a really busy mom and you have this dream to do something or you've wanted to get back into something that you gave up, maybe for the next 30 days, your simple action step is to just write it down and read it every single day. That could be a great action step for the next 30 days. Just read it every day and just connect. Connect with the vision because the more connected we get to what it is that really Mm -hmm. is speaking to us that we know deep down we want to do, the more connected we get, the more energy that we create around it, and it becomes difficult to not do it. And then we can find the five minutes or the hour or the 30 minutes or whatever it is that we're willing to commit to taking that next step, and we just take one small step. It's true. It's just, it's again, right? It's so much easier to say, oh, I just can't, I, I don't have time. I couldn't possibly do that. When your sis resonates yeah. with me very much right now, I am, um, and not to bring it back to me because very boring, but I just, I have been working on Morph Mom for four years and building it and building it. And I finally sat down um, two nights ago and wrote a business plan. Now it took me four years. First of all, I don't even understand really what that is. So I probably should admit that mm-hmm. out loud. But um, so I did research, I Googled it and I figured out what it was and I figured, uh, I found like prototypes of what it would look like and I worked really, really hard. Like I just kept typing and typing and typing and trying to get this out there. And I wanted so many times, like as the harder it got, I kept saying, oh no, no, I got got to do the dishes. What am I doing? Wait, there's so much money. I didn't make the beds. What am I doing? I can't believe I'm doing this. And I was punishing myself for not doing, and I knew deep down I should sit here and just do it. And I know it wasn't great and it wasn't perfect, but also deep down I kind of thought, like if I have an excuse for why I had to jump or run and do this, I can always explain why it isn't perfect. I I have this great excuse. I know when I was um, rehearsing the show, and by the way, this is Maggie, uh, for those of you who are just joining in. And uh, one thing before, and Maggie, I want you to continue. For those callers out there who want to join in, and I know you all do, and you're tired of hearing my stories, it's, uh, please call in. It's 212-631-7553. And we're here with Diane Altamar and Maggie uh, McDonald-Condon. And, and Maggie is the author, writer, producer, one-star actor of Dames of Our Lives. And I'm sorry, Maggie, I didn't mean to interrupt no, I was just saying that when I was in rehearsal for the show, it was probably the first time in a very long time that I was solely focused on myself. So my day went from, you know, walking on the beach with my husband, taking lozenges, so because I have to be on stage, I had to prepare myself physically, emotionally, spiritually to walk out on that stage after 25 years. And, um, and then rehearse, and then come home and rehearse till about three or four and focus only on myself. And that's the first time that I actually, you know, looked at it like this was my full-time job, so. 
That's awesome. Thank you. And didn't it feel good? It did. It actually did. And yeah. And when you brought up Carl Young, I remember during the course of this um, rehearsal period, and I, as I said, I really had to get myself into that a very um, peaceful place. And I read this quote um, uh, by Carl Young. It said, the privilege of a lifetime is to truly know who you are. And then bringing it back to walking out on that stage of opening night with, you know, I'm in the lights and everyone else is in the dark, I thought, this is, this is, this is who I am. And it's almost hard for me to say that because, um, you know, it's a little embarrassing to actually say, this is who I am. And um, because I also know that it, that's very limiting to say that because, you know, like a, the Buddhist thought is that, you know, to say that I'm a mother is limiting because I'm a different mother than I am from one child to the next child or I'm a different mother than Kathleen or Elizabeth. You know, so to truly know who I am, at least in that moment, I had, I had, um, I had worked hard for that moment. I rewrote the show. I got myself in, in a better, as I say, physical shape. And... Um, and, and mentally, emotionally, to be able to walk out there after 25 years of not being on stage. But you have to conquer some fear in order to do that, right? So oh, absolutely. I wasn't afraid, though. I really wasn't afraid because I knew that I had it. Hmm. I know that sounds, if, whatever, how that sounds, but I knew <laughs> I had it. I knew, I knew it was good. I knew because I'd worked hard at it. Um, and I, I also knew that if I thought it was funny... Other people might think it was funny, too. So, anyway. And, Diane, do you see that with a lot of mothers, like, I'm sure, or women just in general, like feeling like what Maggie just said, when you get up there and you think, all right, this is me. Like, have you had a lot of experience with that? Or, or what is your advice with that? Yeah, so I think what she's sharing is so beautiful because she said that, you know, she really didn't experience a lot of fear which means that she was ready mm -hmm. and really connected to herself and her purpose and what she was doing was very aligned with who she was. And it doesn't mean that we don't have fear. Before I got on this call today, <laughs> you know, those butterflies come in my stomach and what happens for me every time I speak is butterflies come. But that doesn't mean that, you know, fear is going to take over because I'm very connected to what it is that I'm doing and I'm very clear on what it is that I'm sharing. And it's part of being connected to ourselves. And that really is the first step in clarity is reconnect to yourself. And I believe that that's what Maggie is saying, that she's really connected to who she is and what her purpose is. And so she went out and she just did her thing. And that just feels good. I was actually very nervous, very fearful the second show because I felt that the first show, you know, I was like, whoa, that one, huh? I was actually surprised about how well it went. And then the second show, I was like, oh, no, how am I ever going to repeat that? And then, of course, then that right. voice starts yeah. in, the, in my head, oh, it's not going to be as good, it's going to be crazy. And then, and then, you know, then you have to... I had to like come back to that place, like keep it, bring it down, get back to that place of it's gonna be fine, and just go out there, go out there and have fun, go out there and just enjoy it, yeah. go out there and you know, and if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. Like this is actually yeah. kind of funny, you know, the opening night, um, 
you know, my daughters were there, and my older daughter told me that my younger daughter was, uh, she was so nervous for me, she was almost going to get sick. <laughs> because you have to understand, I'm on stage for two hours by myself. So there is a great, great, um, you know, that I could go up on a line. And if I go up on a line, there's no one on stage to uh, help me. <laughs> but I knew, you know, again, if I went up on my line, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pull it off. I'm just going to pull it off because I, I worked hard at it. I worked hard at getting there. And I was so in the moment when I'm on stage, you know, you're so in the moment of what is happening. Um, and who I, you know, the whole show um, is done with, uh, it's not, it's it's a through line show. It's a, it's a whodunit. It's a comedy whodunit so that I spin around. I play these 13 women characters, all who had motive and opportunity to, um, in the murder of this death of Jack Blackley. And then there are, of course, other characters that are involved in it. But um, I have to spin around. And there have been times where I've, you know, when I did it 25 years ago, where I spun around and I'm thinking, holy smokes, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I going to be? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have to be very, very clear about where I am and stay focused. And really, but if the one time, this is, again, I did the show 25 plus years ago in um, in the duplex in the village and and I did I, I could not remember who I was going to be next and I'm I'm on the phone and I'm at that there's a character who plays a housewife and it's very stereotypical you know um, you know so I'm on the phone and I'm like this yeah yeah uh-huh uh-huh good 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 and I'm thinking in my head I'm thinking who am I supposed to be next where am I going oh my gosh and I'm like this on the phone uh-huh good good all right good all right good Good, good, good. All right, good. And it's going on like this. And it, got, and it went up getting a huge laugh. And then the next time, I was like, oh, I have to keep that. All right, good, good, good. All right, good, 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 good. All right, goodbye, good, goodbye. You know, goodbye. And she can't get off the phone. And it got a laugh. And that's where you, you know, really living in the moment. Really, this is the ultimate of living in the moment because I have to be on stage. I have to be who I am at that moment. And then turning around and having to be somebody else in that moment. So, you know, be where you play, your feet are planted. My feet are planted a lot of times. <laughs> anyway, it was, uh, it's, it's, as I say, it's just living in the moment, performing in the moment. And if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. And then you, you just improvise something else. So, Well, Diane, Diane actually has something in the book, another chapter, and she talks about fear energy, sort of what you're saying. And Diane, if I'm misspeaking or... Please correct me immediately because I probably am. But something about that we all have this fear, right? So we, but where you direct the energy and what Maggie was just saying, sort of like, look, I can either be terrified or I can live in the moment, deal with it and put it in the right direction, make a positive, literal spin <laughs> as you spin around. Um, and it's funny, my husband uses it to me all the time. I am panicked 72 hours before something could possibly might there's a chance it might happen. And he, he's always saying to me, like, why are you worrying now? Like, well, he's like, you're wasting all this valuable time between now and then. You could be doing great things, but you're sitting here in a complete panic about something that may never happen. For, you know, 25 years he's been telling me that. It hasn't changed. But when I read your book and I was thinking about this, like, make again, you talk about fear energy and, and where you direct this energy. And again, like Maggie just said, you direct it in a way that... I could be worried or I could just make the best of it. So again, I, Diane, I'm just curious about that as well. 
question because so many of us, most of us, every one of us experience fear at some point. And if we can really, again, I keep using the word get connected because that is the root of everything. If we can get connected to what the expression is of that fear or anxiety and understand why we're afraid, it really helps us to know what to do with it. So if you're afraid of your performance, for example, and you get connected to that fear, and the voice of that fear is you're not prepared enough, you really don't know your lines, you don't have the costumes you need, that fear is really helpful. And you can use that to become more prepared. If that fear is showing up and the expression of it is you're not good enough, you know that that part of you that is surfacing from the past is coming forth. And it's really about understanding and being conscious of, and it will change in different circumstances, what our fear is trying to express to us, and then know what to do with it because our emotions have a lot of energy. And so if you can identify what is happening with that anxiety, for example, or why you're having anxiety, you can redirect that energy. I was experiencing an amazing event a couple years back that I share in Clarity, and there were going to be some really special, unique people there that I was very excited about meeting. And it was just a once in a lifetime event. And I had a lot of anxiety about it because it was unknown, because I was excited, right? So there were some some feelings that felt good and then there were feelings that were uncomfortable. And so what I did was instead of spending that 72 hours having anxiety about what was about to happen, I used the energy of that and I funneled it into a project that I had coming up. And I just made a decision in that moment. Whenever the fear or anxiety comes up, I'm going to take the next action on this project. And I'm going to focus it on this project. And sometimes it can be that simple for us. Other times we're really stuck in the fear and anxiety, and we need to do some inner work to see where from the past that's really coming from. And so you can use those both together. But if you start to really do this inner reflection and get connected to what's happening for you, you can use your emotions instead of allowing them to use and control you. And I I think it becomes also somewhat of a contagious thing. So for example, just a quick example, a few weeks ago, so the format of this radio show, I'm just so excited about everything about this. And it was sort of like, we'll figure it out. You know, will we have one woman? Will we share many stories? And a few weeks ago, we had two people at the same time. And Elizabeth and I come in together, and Lisa Berkeley, who we missed tonight, on the train. And we discuss it, and we're, you know, what we're going to talk about. And I was really scared because I, I didn't want to blow it. I'm so excited about this show, and I feel like we can reach so many people. And I, I think it can bring great positive things to people. And if I had 
brought two people in and not done justice to both of them, then I just, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to them. It wasn't fair to people listening. And I was really, really nervous. So Elizabeth, just with a complete smile, never faltering smile, kept looking at me saying, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And this panic that I explained to you that I really, really revealed more about myself tonight than I thought I was going to, but I do slightly panic in advance. <laughs> yeah. And, um, on the train, I was in a full panic, and Elizabeth just smiled and said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You can talk to people. It's going to be fine. And it became a contagious way to turn this negative panic, fear, what have I done? I'm going to upset people. And just by listening to Elizabeth's positive, reassuring voice, and repetitively, I began to believe it. Like, just sitting there listening to Elizabeth, it turned, and I think you call it turning the fear energy into a positive energy. And Elizabeth sort of did that for me. And I don't even know if you realize the impact you had on me by doing that, but it worked. And I, I knew by the time I got in here, it was going to work. But I, was, I firmly believed it was going to be fine. I wasn't just giving you a line. I, I knew it was going to be fine. So I could, I could say that freely and with conviction. And it was. It was awesome. But I, and I, I really do. So, uh, Diane, do you believe that, too? Is like it, it becomes sort of this contagious thing. So if you're in an atmosphere where there's a lot of negativity – you sort of pick up on that. And as opposed to when you surround yourself with people with the positive view of it, it is infectious. Yes. And at the same time, we all have an Elizabeth within us. And so in order to be really powerful and connected to who we are, we want to embrace that part of us. And that's what I talk about in the step on faith versus fear. We all have a part of us that totally believes in us, that knows that we are, we are everything we need to be to accomplish what we desire in our life. And we have the part of us that's so afraid that doesn't even want to take the first step. And it's really about doing the work to develop that part of you that believes in you, to connect more often. And what Elizabeth was mirroring for you, she was mirroring the part of you within you that already felt like it was going to be fine. And she was validating that part of you because you just weren't connected to it in that moment. And that happens to all of us. And I love Kathleen just how how much you're sharing and being transparent because part of doing that is giving everybody else permission to be transparent and to, to really just affirm that we are all the same. We are. Every single one of us, we're the same. We may have different experiences. We may experience our circumstances a little bit differently, but we all know what it is that fear feels like and what it feels like when we're really connected to that part of us that believes wholeheartedly. And so when you are around other people that believe in you, you start to connect more deeply with that part of you that's within you. And then eventually you don't need them to do it for you. You don't need them to reconnect you to that, but it is super helpful. And the, and the converse is also true, like you were saying. When there's a lot of negativity, it's easier for us to then connect with that part of us mm -hmm. that sees everything through a negative perspective. And so we get to choose in that moment really what it is that we want to connect with. Well, it's fun. So in talking about that, so when I was talk, thinking about tonight, and I was so thrilled. So for those of you who don't know, Diane is calling in from L.A. tonight, and we're sitting here with Maggie, and I was thinking about mm -hmm. what a you know, who to 
I would ask to come in tonight. I thought Maggie would be such a great compliment, both of you complimenting one another. And I grew up with Maggie. I'm from Jersey City. We're both from Jersey City, and we grew up together. And I find Maggie's story compelling. And I even found out, and Diane, tonight I even found out more about Maggie's story that I didn't even realize. And Maggie, I'm going to ask you to take a few minutes to share that story as well. So Diane can, under, you know, so all our listeners and Diane as well. But Maggie really exemplifies many of the things that you've just been saying. Um, and uh, I, I, I ask Maggie to share that. Well, um the last three or four years, I was writing a project, which um, which didn't come out, which didn't it it kind of fizzled out, and I was feeling like, oh boy, now what? You know, and I had worked hard. It was during the course of the last three years, the project had its hills and valleys. Like, oh, now it's going to go to HBO. Oh, now it's go- I'm going to go to the Globes, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, it fizzled out. And I was thinking, now what? And my husband said, why don't you do Dames of Our Lives again? And, and let me just back up a little bit for those who are not familiar. Would you just give a little introduction about, about Dames of Our Lives and the history of that? So Dames of Our Lives is a show that I wrote and starred in um, about 25 years ago, um, which I wrote at the time um, because I wanted to get an agent. <laughs> and I was writing just sketches, and then the whole thing then became a through-line story. It is a one-woman, 19-character comedy whodunit, so the whole thing is um, a through-line play. So I did it 25-plus years ago. It, it ran um, ran well, you know, in the uh, Don't Tell Mamas and Duplex and the cabarets here in New York, and then it ran in a theater in Pennsylvania in a college, and... Um, and anyway, so but I hadn't performed. I hadn't been on stage in over 25 years. So my, when my husband said, why don't you do Dames of Our Lives again, my first response was, what, that old thing? <laughs> and I thought, well, it's so dated. And it was. So then I looked at it and rewrote it. Rewrote it because, you know, 25 years ago, think about it, there were no cell phones. The, lands, uh, the landscape of television had changed so much. And the whole show is a spoof on... One review said Shakespeare to soap operas, but it's also now Grey's Anatomy and Hitchcock and you name it. You know, it's it's a spoof on every. In fact, we have a Game of Thrones in there now and a lot of musical, <laughs> a lot of music. And um, so anyway, I rewrote it, and um, which um, which was fun to rewrite. It was really fun to sit down and write it again and look at it again because I actually hadn't even looked at it in a long time. I shouldn't say that. Probably about I'm gonna say six maybe seven years ago, I did it um, for my family and friends in our living room. And that was just because, <laughs> you know what, I hadn't been on stage, and, and I hadn't, my children didn't, didn't even know, like, really didn't even know that I had this life beforehand. So um, so I was thinking it'd be fun to do it again. So about, I'm going to say seven years ago or so, I did it in my living room. And that was fun. But it wasn't a big deal. It was just, you know, we have a sunken living room. I was on the steps. So getting back on stage now in a 350-seat house, um, you know, it was wonderful. It really, as I said before, it was really that um, going back into rehearsal mode, I spoke with a dear friend of mine who had, who's an actress, um, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, and uh, she lives in our town, the town I'm in, and she had done a one-woman show there before. So I spoke with her, and I said, I'm thinking of doing this show. What do you think? She's like, do it. You have to do it. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and I said, okay. And then we went to the theater, and we looked at the space and said, this is it. Let's do it. And um, one thing, that was it. And 
the hardest part, you know, when you were talking about fear and and I knew that, I, so every morning during the rehearsal process, I would do this meditation where I would breathe in all the faith and breathe out all the fear. And I just mm -hmm. knew this is where I'm going, you know, this is where I'm going with it. Um, so the show, you know, it, listen, it's very funny, I hope, I think. Um, <laughs> it got laughs. <laughs> uh, one of the nicest things, talking about affirmations, um, you know, that you got from Elizabeth and blah, blah, blah. I cannot tell you, there was, from the beginning of the, um, from the beginning of the time I was rewriting it to the uh, the last show, which we had a reception afterwards with, um, it was wonderful. It was just wonderful. There was not, I couldn't, not a negative thing about it. The love and support that I got from, of course, my family and my friends was just incredible. You know, to fill a 350-seat house, yeah, I remember thinking, I don't know, seven. I don't know that many people. <laughs> but uh, word of mouth, and you know, we did we did okay getting the people in there, and um, and I loved it, and I loved it, and I can't wait to do it again. And did yeah. it feel different doing it than when you did it twenty five years ago? Did the characters seem different to you yes. as people? Absolutely, it, it it grew in my mind. It grew. First of all, the stage was bigger, so mm -hmm. I could um, I could do a lot more physically. I could use utilize the stage a lot more, and I think being twenty five years older, or than some, um, <laughs> it was, it was, it. Was, I think I'm more mature. I think I was just more mature, and and so that I was so much. Uh, each character became physically. Each character was more developed, and the whole show to me was more developed. When it ran in the village. Um, I'm going to say it ran, the whole running time was about an hour and ten minutes. This show ran two hours. Hmm. So um, so there's a lot more to it. There's a whole number where I, um, where I just have so much fun with it. And there's one, one particular um, area where um, it's uh, one of the characters, her name is Cindy Ellerby, and she's a newscaster. But she wants to be a lounge singer, and she gets the opportunity to sing at her father's funeral, and that is that is like I loved it. I absolutely loved doing it. And when I was rehearsing it, I said I brought my husband and my uh, daughter in. I said, "What do you think? You think it's too long?" And then when I looked over and I saw my daughter laughing, I said, "No, it's perfect." <laughs> I'm not. And then I did think it was too long, but it was, you know, I hate to say it was a showstopper, but it was. <laughs> You know, it was just, um, you know, where she, it starts, I'll give you the line, she says, I'm standing on my daddy's casket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a, a black hat tilted ever so slightly, and a black tuxedo jacket. Yeah, 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 you know where I'm going with this one. A five, six, seven, eight, forget your troubles, come on, get happy. And that's just one of her numbers. Anyway, it goes on and on, it's really, um... It goes that that number to me was never in the first show, um, so it just um, it just again it kind of took on a life of its own. Once I started going with it, I couldn't you know it just really went, you know. It, anyway, it was um, it was fun. It was that was really fun um, playing some of the other characters. I loved this the the uh, the red herring the the widow of the. Uh, dead man. Uh, her name is Eleanor Pointidi, Mason Dixon Potter Blackwig. And she is, um, you know, she's she's right out of uh, Dynasty. She's Alexis Carrington and then some. Um, 
you know, so her, her, she has a really long monologue. And at the end of that monologue, if I knew I nailed it, and people just started clapping and screaming, like cheering, and I knew I nailed it. And that is so much fun. That is so much fun to be up there because talk about a connection, hmm. connection with myself, with the audience, um, where we are, the whole place is just filled with joy. And that's really what it came down to. I was, it was joyous. The whole, as I say, from the beginning to uh, the closing uh, afternoon, it was filled with joy. So, that is phenomenal, Diane. You have you have a chapter in your book that talks about the journey. It's like a journey puzzle. And again, forgive me if I'm not saying it correctly, but she, Diane talks about this puzzle, and the puzzle involves all the good and all the bad, and it sort of completes the puzzle when you get there. So every piece, I think, Diane, is as significant as the rest. And as I hear Maggie telling about this, it's sort of like all these pieces came together that night on stage most recently, you know, Mm -hmm. 25 years later, and having gone through everything you did and and hearing the joy in the audience. And Diane, does that sort of fall in with this journey puzzle, like Maggie's journey puzzle, I guess you'd call it? I just, yeah, I love what she's sharing, just how Mm -hmm. 25 years later she's doing a somewhat similar production, right? But yet it's totally different because she's different and she's bringing a whole different level of richness and depth and life experience and maturity and maybe more joy than she brought 25 years ago. And so, yes, it really is about, you know, embracing all these different parts of our life and what we've experienced, whether it was really traumatic. Some of us have had very traumatic things occur, and some have been very joyful, and they are all contributing to who we are in this moment, and it really is the honoring of each experience and allowing ourselves really to look at whatever it is that we might not be at peace with and do some of that inner reflection so that we can see what the gift is in that experience and make peace with it and then bring that to our current circumstances. So with what Diane said, Maggie, I'm curious, so that you get on stage and the lights come on and that just unbelievable butterfly Mm -hmm. That I'm so jealous feeling of in your stomach. <laughs> I'm such an Annie wannabe, by the way, for those out there. I wish I could get on stage. <laughs> yes, I've revealed way too much tonight to be anything. But I, I actually am so envious of that feeling getting on stage. So with what Diane just said, what what was your feeling? So the lights come on. It's 25 years later. Well, you know, the uh, first of all, the re, uh, the dressing room was huge in the in the Two River Theater in Red Bank. And the dressing room at the duplex was the size of a half bathroom. Um, so I was, now, so think of it, 25, 25 years ago, I would do warm-ups, like jump up and down and breathe. But I also had, you know, a Diet, uh, no, not even a Diet Coke, a tab. Oh. <laughs> and a cigarette going, you know, and then I'd go out on stage and the stage was, you know, a, a four by four, really. No, it's a little bigger than that. So here, the dressing room, down at the Two River Theater, I was huge. And I had this very, very, so I, I had my cup of tea, I had my honey and <laughs> lozenges, lozenges? Um, and I would, and, and just, 
getting in that very, very peaceful place. I kept it dark and, you know, and then the intercom would say, you know, uh, 10 minute call, five minute, and as that was coming, I was like, holy smoke, okay, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go. I, and then I started, you know, it, it's a fine line between keeping it very um, centered and keeping the energy up, energy. And so then it was like, okay, uh, you know, call time. We had to walk up the stairs. And, you know, so I felt kind of like a rock star, you know, walking in the backstage <laughs> with the with the stage manager and the lighting people, you know, my roadies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as we're walking up the stairs, I'm thinking, that's when it started to, that's when it started to come, okay, it's here, it's here. Now, I, during that day, we had done a cue to cue, which is running the show with the cues, and then ran the show earlier that day, so that... I knew, I knew, I, you know, I, there was a confidence to it, but I, I say that with all the humility, um, because still something could go wrong. But I also had a sense, and this is just how I felt, that it was somewhat divinely given. It really was. Um, so walking up the stairs then, and then, you know, you can hear the people in the audience, and, you know, um, and I'm standing, you know, on the stage left, and I'm looking over, and I saw one of my sisters, my or two of my sisters sitting there. I'm thinking, okay, okay, this can be all right. This can be all right. And then walking, then the lights come down. We have a voiceover, um, and the music started, and then I have, to, then lights come up, and I'm sitting on a piano bench in character. I'm in the character of the housewife, and she's great. The housewife is great because she's such a character, like we were talking about before with the real cat. You know, she's like, you know, so I says to myself, you know, she's da 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 da. So I, that character is so much fun to do, and I, there's also that sense that I knew if I got a laugh at, with that character, there's kind of then that inner sigh of, mm. okay, this is all going to be okay, you know. And I also knew, you know, the the audience was pretty much filled with people that. I love that love me, you know, um, so that they were not coming to see me fail. They were coming to root for me. So, um, and, and I think everybody had a great time. <laughs> I know I did. Uh, so, so yes, there are still butterflies though. And as again, I said, the second night I was during the day, I was a little anxious. Um, you guys, I can't believe this. This is terrible, but we're about to end. And I could hear these characters all night long and I could hear Diane talk all night long. Uh. I am so grateful for you both coming. Elizabeth, again, as you heard, is my positive energy source. And Lisa Berkery, <laughs> who's not here tonight as well. Um, but I think this was a fascinating thing where, where um, I wish we could talk for hours yeah. and hours and hours. I wanted to talk to Diane more about transferable baggage. There were all these notes that I had. I wanted to hear Maggie's characters. I want to hear all of them. I have lots of suggestions of characters <laughs> that I've grown up with. Um, so maybe I can entice both of you to come back again one night. Absolutely. Um, but for those yes. out there, I, I cannot thank you both enough for tonight. I can't encourage my listeners enough to Clarity is Out There by Diane Altamari. we got to all see dames of our lives when it comes to, I'm assuming Broadway, think high, aim high. There's a <laughs> no question right. going to be there. Yeah. And uh, I guess I'm praying we'll all see you next week, Thursday night, 7 to 8, for more fun moments. And uh, we'll get these guys back in here again. Thank you all for listening tonight. Uh, thank you, thank you guys for coming. Thank you, thank you Diane. Good night. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Maggie. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Good night. In our nation's armed forces, and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS.
Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Sparky the Fire Dog here. Protect your family from fire. Make sure your home has smoke alarms in every bedroom, outside your sleeping areas, and on every level of your home, even your basement. For games and activities, go to sparky.org. We want to keep you, your family, and your community safer from fire. This message brought to you by the National Fire Protection Association and your local fire department. Visit sparky.org. 